0: welcome pastor rex as he gets ready to share the message this afternoon on our series how to live until Jesus returns let us welcome pastor rex all thank right. you all right awesome so glad that you're here today for worship back in the first century the apostle peter sat down and inspired by god through his amanuensis or his scribe whose name was sylvanus he names him in the fifth chapter He, he wrote some very tender very encouraging words to friends of his fellow believers who were scattered throughout pontus galatia cappadocia asia and bithynia and he said things like this beloved do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, ah! if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify, glorify God. For it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first... <laughs> What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's with with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Those words must have meant a lot to those first century believers who first heard them read in their local churches. As this document, this letter went around and someone stood up and read it to them, it must have encouraged them greatly. How can you and I today be perceptive when we're going through suffering? Because I know one thing about today's message This is going to be particularly personal, penetrating, and very poignant for many of you because, can we keep it real? Some of you right now are really struggling. It's just that stuff that happens, you know, in life. Some of you, honestly, you financially, you don't, you're living so on the edge, you honestly don't know how you're going to make it. Some of you have relationships that have been disrupted or broken, family relationships. Maybe in the workplace, it's just tough to even show up at work and and be there because of the turmoil and you feel like you're you're going through some real painful stuff. Some of you perhaps had a loved one who committed suicide and you're still reeling from the tsunami of confusion that that created in you. Perhaps you have a a child or a family member with some severe disabilities, and although that child or that loved one is an intense blessing, they bring so much to the family. To be honest, those disabilities create some real challenges. Some of you have got a a report on your health that's just not good, and wow, you're wondering what does this mean for me? What am I going to do? Some of you are just disillusioned with life, and the future doesn't seem real bright. Some of you are college students, and you've just begun a brand new quarter, a brand new semester at school, and there's lots of new stuff, but quite frankly, you're scared to death. Deep inside, you wonder, what does all this mean? How am I going to cope with this? Am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to make friends? Where do you turn when times are really tough? I know of no better passage in the Bible than the one we're studying today to help us be perceptive when we're going through suffering. And I've been praying all week that God would take his word and drive it supernaturally home to your heart and that you would walk away this very day not only being more perceptive about what you're going through, You would go away with a whole new understanding and with an encouragement, yes, God is working with me, and God is up to something great. So if you have your Bible open or your note sheet, I invite you to follow along now as we kind of unpack this passage. And the first thing Peter says to us, if we want to really be more perceptive about our suffering is first of all, we need to expect it. Expect it. Look at verse 12 and what he said here again. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some, catch these words, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Peter said, don't be surprised when it happens. Now, why would he even need to say that? Because apparently, some people then, just as we do today, were actually surprised when bad things happened and when life became painful. I don't know. Maybe they'd grown up with a silver spoon in their mouth. Maybe they'd never gone through hard times. Maybe their family just had it made and life was all good. Maybe, maybe they'd gotten some bad teaching. That said to them, look, if you'll just pray this little prayer and just say yes to Jesus, look, he'll take all the bad stuff away from you. There'll be no more pain in your life. Maybe things like that had happened. But for some reason, people were still surprised when bad things happened. Simon Peter says, look, there's a sense in which you should kind of expect it. Expect it. Several days ago, I heard that a man I greatly respect, he's a pastor in Massachusetts, he's a dear brother in Christ, he's someone that I look to as one of those guys that if I were looking for a church, if I were looking for a pastor, David is the kind of pastor I would want. I've said that to him numerous times. He's just such a beloved and respected guy. Several days ago, he found out that he has stage four colon cancer. Now, some Christians would look at that and go, wait a minute, time out here. I thought that people like that weren't supposed to have bad things happen. And to that, Simon Peter would respond, if he were here, where did you get that theology? Where did that come from? Don't you know that sometimes God, in his sovereign will, allows suffering in our lives because we're a part of this broken world? world where things have gone awry. Notice what he says here in verse 19. Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God. Now catch that phrase. Suffer according to the will of God. God is allowing this suffering within his will. And when that happens, you keep on entrusting your soul to the faithful creator. To do what is right. Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble and so in a sense you need to have some expectation of it. Now there's two wonderful byproducts that'll happen if you prop- have a proper expectation of suffering. Number one, you prepare for the difficult days. If you lived in the southeastern part of the United States where hurricanes are very common, there's several a year that come through. If you live in the Panhandle area of Florida, anywhere in Florida, extreme southern Georgia, extreme southern South Carolina, uh, in Louisiana, you just know about hurricanes. And sometimes they are horrific and cause tremendous damage if you live there you would be silly no let me change the word you would be downright I'm gonna say it you'd be downright stupid if you live there and you did not make some appropriate preparations for a potential hurricane you'd just be stupid that would be idiotic that would be unreasonable So you you would need to go get some materials to be able to board up your windows from time to time when the really bad hurricane is hitting. You'd need some supplies. You'd need some materials. You'd need to make some preparation. And I want to say to you, in this life, in this world, where storms really occur, you're being very unwise if you don't make some preparations. Because you see, when the painful time comes, it's probably going to be too late to build some deep, meaningful relationships that will reinforce you and help bolster your faith during that difficult time. If you don't prepare, it'll probably be too late when the painful time comes for you to develop a deep and well-grounded faith in God that will sustain you through those hard times. So one of the great byproducts of expecting it Is you make some appropriate preparations but secondly you appreciate the normal days when you have an appropriate expectation that we do live in a world where bad things happen to good people on a real regular basis you really appreciate the the normal days the days that are relatively pain-free you know I love to be around older people who have a positive attitude don't you you, you get around some older people who have a really great attitude about life, and maybe they're going through physical or or, or life difficulties of some kind. But they'll say, "Oh, I'm just glad to be here. At my age, whew, I'm glad to be anywhere." Let me tell you, it's great. And they'll talk about how good their day has been and that kind of thing. How can they have that kind of attitude? It's because... Are you listening? If you live on this planet very long, I hope all the young people are listening right now too. If you live on this planet very long, you're going to go through, hear me, just count it, just expect it, you're going to go through some pretty painful days. God's never promised he would exempt you from those. In fact, Jesus actually promised in this world, you will have trouble. So Simon Peter begins this section by saying, look, just don't be surprised. Please don't go around saying, oh, I just never thought it happened. What? Have some sense of appropriate expectation. Now, I want to be very clear. God's not calling us here to be pessimists. George Will is one of the most popular political and cultural commentators over the last several decades. George Will says some insightful things, and he says one of the nice things about being a pessimist is you're either constantly being proven correct or you're pleasantly surprised. Well, God is not asking us to be pessimist, but I think he's asking us to be optimistic realist That's a a phrase my wife created that we use now all the time around our house. We don't like pessimists. They drive us crazy. But you know what? We've got some optimist friends that don't seem to always face reality and live in a la-la world. So she created this phrase, we want to be optimistic realist. And I like that. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day. Each day, Jesus is just being an optimistic realist here. Are you looking at what Jesus said? Pretty good source about our attitude Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right? So the first thing is expect it. Appreciate the good days. Understand that this life is going to have some suffering. But the second major thing I think Peter would say to us is not only just expect it, but you need to go beyond that. When you're suffering, you need to evaluate your suffering. Evaluate it. Now, here's what I mean by that try to ponder what is the source of this? Where is this coming from? What is this rooted in? What was the cause that created this effect? That is an important question. Look at what he said in verse 14. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Now, I want to mention three sources if you're evaluating your pain, your hard times. There are three sources, at least, that we need to consider, Uh, and and sometimes we suffer because of these things. Number one, sometimes we suffer because we are Christ followers. Now, that that was certainly happening to the people that Peter wrote to. By the way, some of you may be thinking, why have we been talking so much lately about hard times and and suffering? It's because Peter does, okay? We're just following the text. We're not making it up. We're just following what he said. And so over and over again in this text, he keeps bringing it up. Why? Because the people he's writing to are going through it. That's what was pertinent for them. The time he wrote this is in the mid-60s A.D., Nero is the maniacal Caesar who rules over the Roman Empire, and it was the day, June 19th, 64 AD, that a major fire broke out in the city of Rome and destroyed vast portions of that great city. By the way, It was during that time, in the summer of 64 AD, that the phrase, it supposedly occurred, that fiddling while Rome burned was created. Because legend says that Nero was so excited that Rome was burning because the idea was, many people believed that he had started the fire himself because he wanted to burn shabby portions of Rome and build them back with greater Huzzazz in greater pomp and greater glory all for himself. And so he apparently fiddled while Rome burned. I, it's a little difficult to believe, because the fiddle wasn't invented then, just saying, OK, but maybe there was some other ancient instrument similar to that, and maybe he really was excited. But here's the thing: he pegged it on the Christians. Christians in Rome became the scapegoats for Nero, because Nero said, after all, they're always talking about this fiery ending to the world. They're the ones who started it to try to push their agenda. And so Christians became severely persecuted in Rome and the regions around. It's one of the first times that they were forced to go underground into many of the catacombs, the underground caves and chambers that you can still visit today if you visit the, the city of Rome. So it was certainly happening then, but I want you to know that it's happening today. As we speak, right now, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, better known as ISIS, is going to Christians in Iraq and Syria and saying, convert to Islam or die. And many people are suffering simply because of their faith in Christ. In the country of Iran, right now, Pastor Syed Abedini has been imprisoned for almost two years. His horrendous crime is simply believing that Jesus is the Messiah. He's been tortured, beaten during this time. In the country of Sudan, right now, as we speak, President Omar al-Bashir is still systematically hunting down Christians in the Nuba Mountains of his country and persecuting and often executing them because of their faith in Christ. I could go on and on. These are just a few examples of places around the world right now as we speak where people are suffering intensely simply for their faith in Christ. That seems so foreign to us, doesn't it? We, 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 most of us don't have any idea what that must feel like. David Barrett, in the book he edits called World Christian Encyclopedia, a book worth its weight in gold, if you're interested in missions and, and things going on around the world, David Barrett states that on average, every year around the world, there are 300,000 Christian martyrs. 300 thousand Christian martyrs, men and women and children, who die explicitly because of their faith in Christ. I know that's sobering, but I want you to know that I personally believe that probably, even here in the Western world, here in the U.S., probably, probably things will heat up for us. So this is no time for casual Christianity. As we get closer and closer to the second coming of Christ, closer and closer to the end of the world as we know it, I do believe that our values will be increasingly challenged by not only the media, but by the society at large. I hope you're ready. I hope you're, I hope you're deepening in your faith and your character, because sometimes we suffer simply because we are Christian. But Peter said here, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. And Jesus said, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. In that day, you're supposed to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. But I think a second potential source of suffering is we suffer because we are disobedient. Notice what he says here in verse 15. This is very interesting. He says, by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. Don't even stick your nose in somebody else's business where you ought not be, right? Make sure, make sure that the suffering you're going through is not because of obvious wrongs, things that you've done, that are wrong because obviously you're going to suffer from that. Some years ago, I went to visit a guy I had gone to school with in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. Lealmo was my hometown. Lawrenceburg is where I went to high school. And there's a a jail there, the Lawrence County Prison. And I had actually preached in that prison a number of times. And I went to visit this guy and um, found out that he, he knew I was in town and would appreciate a visit, and he was in there because of possession and selling illegal drugs, all right, and uh, he knew quite a bit about the Bible. He had spent quite a bit of time in church, and it became evident that he thought pretty highly of himself as we began to talk and so on, and, and, and toward the end of our visit, he said, well, I just want you to know I feel like I'm in good company here, and I said, what? What do you, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, Joseph suffered, and he was imprisoned in the Bible, and Simon Peter spent time in prison. Paul was in and out of prison all the time. I I just feel like I'm in good company. I didn't say this, but I thought, wow, dude, big difference. (laughs) These guys you're naming were persecuted for righteousness' sake. They were persecuted unjustly. You're being persecuted, or suffering, if you will, because you broke the law. And you also broke God's law. Big difference. So we need to be perceptive about our suffering. What is the source of it? Because, see, we can bring a lot of suffering on ourselves because of our own sins. So let me be very pointed if you abuse your body and don't get enough rest and constantly you're under too much stress and don't eat properly and don't get proper exercise I'm just gonna tell you right now this it's not rocket science you're gonna suffer because of that abuse if you live a selfish life if you think it's all about you if you only think about yourself I just want to tell you your relationships are gonna suffer there's gonna be pain There's going to be pain anyway in relationships, even if you are the most selfless person in the world. But if you act selfishly, I'm telling you right now, you're going to suffer. Your marriage may eventually break. Your relationships will be strained. People will not have a great attitude about you because they'll eventually realize it's just all about him. It's just all about her If you're sexually promiscuous outside of marriage, I want to tell you, it's very likely you're going to get a sexually transmitted disease. It's very likely that your emotions are going to suffer and you're going to have issues and you're going to need some counseling probably in the future. Millions of lives and testimonies can attest to that. The list goes on and on. When we do something that is contrary to the design for flourishing in this life that God's given us, hey, it's just a cause and effect thing. In some other religions, this is called karma. I realize karma is a very different thing. But in the Bible, this is called reaping what you sow. And the Bible teaches in Galatians 6 that we will reap what we sow, verses 7-7 and eight. We say this in our popular proverbial way. We say what goes around comes around. There will be a negative impact when we don't do the right thing. And number three, we suffer sometimes because we live in a sinful fallen world. The date was April the 20th, 1999, just over 15 years ago that two bitter disillusioned young men armed to the gills with weapons, walked into Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, and went on a killing spree. Now think, think for just a moment about the intense ripple effect of devastation that that one singular act of violence set in motion. There have been dozens of copycat attempts, either successful or not, of people trying to do similar things, either in schools or public places. There's been a tsunami of emotional devastation. There have been lives broken. There's been stress and alarm. One senseless act of violence set all of that in motion. And we need to understand That we live in a world where all the way back to the garden, it was set in motion a ripple effect of devastation from our sin. And so God said to Eve, because you've sinned, you're going to have pain in childbirth and you're going to have to deal with your husband's dominion over you. And there's going to be a lot of frustration, Eve. And and God said to Adam, look, because you've sinned, uh, listen, the ground's not going to cooperate. You're going to earn your living from the sweat of your brow. There's going to be thorns and thistles and... I'm telling you, it set in motion a lot of chaos that we're still living with today. And so a lot of bad things happen simply because we live in a fallen world. So evaluate your suffering. What is the source of it? Where could it be coming from? Don't just assume that all painful things that happen are exactly the same. They're not. They've got very different sources many times. And so ask yourself, why am I going through this? It's a very important question. But then there's one final thing I think Peter would want us to learn today. Not only expect some suffering, not only evaluate it when you're going through it, but finally, and this is what we want to move on to, we need to rejoice in it. Look at verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. What a weird statement. So that also at the revelation of his glory, that's referring to the second coming of Christ, you may rejoice with exultation. Now, what in the world does that mean? Does that mean if I have a terrible accident and total my car and I happen to survive, I should get out and dance a little jig and go, "Woo! I just totaled my car, I rejoice and praise God. I don't think that's exactly what it means. If your spouse gets a debilitating disease, I don't think you say, Woo, I just love it, my spouse is sick. that's, That's imbalanced. That's weird. That's senseless. I don't think that's what he means. I think what he means when he says, Keep on rejoicing, is keep on brimming with that inner confidence in God's sovereignty, that God, even though I don't understand all of this, I know that God is working toward a tremendous goal and purpose in my life. Let me illustrate this with a very trivial example, a very trivial example. Some of you have noticed today that I have braces on my teeth, right? You've noticed that. You've wondered, wow, what's going on there? Well, I got these about 10 or 11 days ago, and those of you who've had braces or have braces know that the first week or two is really difficult, right? I mean, it's brutal. It's painful. You, you have these thoughts. Why did I ever do this? I can't believe I voluntarily got into this. That's the kind of thoughts you have. But, if you have some bite issues, like I do, and some teeth need to be moved and turned and corrected, hey, guess what the pathway to that is? Discomfort. And so, a good orthodontist knows that you've got to put some pressure on these teeth, right? Right? And it's got to be persistent pressure. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It's going to last a while. But you know what? Here's the thing that keeps you going. Through the frustration and the discomfort and the pain, you keep thinking about the goal. You keep thinking about the bite's going to get corrected. And these teeth will be properly aligned. And so you persevere because of that purpose. Now, as we wrap up today, I want to give you quickly, just quickly, I'm just going to skim these, four very positive results that we can look forward to when we heed Peter's advice here and we rejoice in our suffering. Why can we do that? What are some of the positive results? Well, first of all, suffering proves that our faith is genuine. Suffering proves that our faith is genuine. Let's go back to chapter 1 and look at these verses. In this, he says, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, notice this metaphor he's using here, the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ what is he saying there he's referring there to the way that gold is put in a fire and purified all the dross all the impurities are burned off and when you're tempted to anxiety when you're tempted to just despair and give up because you're going through painful situation Brothers and sisters, I hope you're listening to me right now. I say it with a heart of love. There comes a point in our lives when we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe what I say I believe? Everyone, everyone at all of our sites listening right now, brothers and sisters, there will come a time in your life when you're going through a dark night of the soul, a painful time, I assure you, this will happen. When you need to stop and ask yourself, do I really believe What I say, I believe. And if I do, if I do, I'm going to keep holding on to God. Even when I feel like I can't hold on anymore, and he's going to hold on to me. I'm going to keep getting up and showing up and saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. During the communist takeover of Romania a number of years ago, Pastor Richard Wormbrand was captured Imprisoned and actually tortured for his faith. And one time during his captivity, a hostile interrogator pushed a gun, the nuzzle of a gun, right up to the temple of Pastor Wormbrand's head. And he said, Don't you know that I have the power to take your life? Pastor Richard Wormbrand calmly responded, Sir, put your hand on my heart. If it beats rapidly you'll know that I am afraid but if it beats normally you will know sir that God lives and that I do not fear what a mere man can do to me that's faith that's being tested and proven to be true do you really believe what you say, you believe. James 1 says, blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Second, suffering deepens our character. Please listen to this. Suffering deepens our character. It's one of the great byproducts of it. James 1 Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I've asked people throughout the years many times, I've done this little survey. I've been in a group of Christians and I've done a little survey and got a show of hands. How many of you would say that you grew the most... In Christ, your character was deepened, your faith was deepened, when times were really going great, you didn't have a care in the world, it was just one of those rare seasons when there was just no pain at all, you were cruising. How many of you would say you grew the most there? Or how many of you would say you grew the most when it was a dark night of the soul? You just couldn't see your way through, but boy, you just held on to God and said, God, I'm hurting Can you please get me through this? I've asked that question literally of thousands of people. 99% answer, I grew the most. 99%, I grew the most when I was going through the hard time. It deepens our character. What does God want to do in you right now? Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Number three, positive result. If we persevere through the hard time, suffering creates empathy for others. I love this. I want you to become familiar with this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I call this the God recycles our pain verse. This is good stuff. God recycles our pain. Here's what it says. Who comforts, referring to God, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Can I tell you who the best caregivers are? Can I tell you today who the best disciples are? Can I tell you today who the best mentors are? Can I tell you today who the best teachers are and the best friends it's those who've been there, those who've gone through the same kind of stuff that you are going through, and they can sympathize and empathize with you on a profound level. No one can comfort you like someone who's been through the same thing. And this says that when God brings us through stuff, look, one day he's going to use that in a majored way for us to help others. We're going to be able to give back. We're going to be able to be wounded healers because he's still healing us and we're going to be wounded healers. Those are the best kind. And finally, number four, suffering teaches us to trust God's providence. Verse 19 again. Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You don't understand right now the jumbled back side of the tapestry, but one day God's going to flip it over and show you how it all worked together. And so in the meantime, you say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. You say, but pastor, I would really like to know what's coming. Would you really? People go to psychic hotlines and Consult astrologers and people who practice with crystal balls and read their horoscope daily, voraciously hungry, to want to know, what's going to happen to me? I want to know. Do you really want to know? If you knew right now that you were going to have 364 days, relatively pain-free, life was going to be great, but on day 365, you're going to have a horrible accident and be hospitalized for a week, you know what that would do? That knowledge would ruin the next 364 days. You'd be dreading it like crazy. God graciously holds some things back from us in this broken world. And it is one of the greatest days of your life when you realize this world was not created to make me happy. I was created to glorify God. He's the potter, I'm the clay, He's the creator. I'm the creature, and I live to glorify him. Father, would you help us today to live with that attitude in mind? Help us to live today perceptive about the painful experiences that we're going through. Father, I I ask today for people in every walk of life here If they're going through a hard time, I ask that you would make yourself so real to them, deepen their character, teach them life lessons that they'll never forget, help them to persevere through this challenge. And I pray that the result would be a beautiful thing. And it would be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue to worship God together.